Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm Turner Burns. Uh, I'm a member of the Young Adults Cell Group here around LCC. Um, we meet on Tuesdays. It's really great. Um, we do a lot of uh, uh, group-led stuff, kind of things like that, um, take turns. It's good to see everybody in the group participate uh, in a leadership kind of role each night. Um, it's really encouraging. It's We're in a great spot, I think, because we're always able to be vulnerable with each other. And uh, it's just really good for our souls, really, every week to come together and meet in church in that way. So uh, I'm going to pray for JR, who's our speaker today. Uh, you can just bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. Uh, I thank you for the gathering of the church that we get to have this fine morning um, and worship to your name together. Uh, I pray that you will give uh, JR boldness in the way he speaks the truth and that you will uh, make our hearts ready to receive it. You just know I pray. Amen. Thanks, man. We haven't met. I'm JR. And you might be wondering, I'd like to have a conversation with that guy. What could I, what could I talk to him about? You might think, maybe I should ask him what's going on with his hair. <laughs> but that's too short of an answer. It's called a midlife crisis. All right? So the next up would be chickens. If you want to have a long conversation, let's talk about chickens. All right? About three and a half years ago, we started raising chickens at my house. It's uh. It's a hobby, all right? So um, I'm going to introduce the chickens to you, all right? So here's an aerial shot of the chickens. This is Dubby. Um, it was a body size kind of name because she was bigger than the rest of the birds. Um, there may be some culture references here, too. Here's Wendy, as in Wonder Chicken. There's Carol, as in Carol Baskins. Um, Spidey, like Spider Chicken. Uh, uh, Rosa, like Rosa Diaz. All right, show. Uh, Big Bird, because Dubby was taken. Um, Camilla, which is a Muppets reference. If you Google, like, Muppets and Camilla, like, I could watch that stuff for hours. Here's uh, Rona, as in Corona, all right? <laughs> Chewy, like Chewbacca. Um, TBD, this poor bird. This poor bird has, <laughs> has lumps and bumps in places that chickens shouldn't, um, and we thought it's best not to get attached. But... <laughs> A year plus and a few months later, like, TBD still. We didn't get around to it. Here's Charlene, as in, it's Charles, but Charlene, it's a hen. So, uh, as in um, Charles Boyle. Another, okay. Um, if you know, you know. If you don't, it's fine. Um, super, as in super chicken. And then, yeah, there's a lot of them. You're right. Um, last one is Piggy. Um, you'll want to remember that name for later. There's a point, I promise. Um, and that's poop. There's where the arrow, and there's probably more than where the arrows are, but just in case you're like, ooh, that's there. Yeah, that's what that is. That's fine. Okay. There's not enough middle schoolers in the room, or that would have been more fun. Okay. We're going to wrap up our series on doubt today, and I promise there's a point to the chickens. We'll come back in a little bit. Um, but I thought let's start with just a quick refresh on maybe where we've been and some high-level kind of thoughts about doubt. Um, the first thing I just want us to remember together is that doubts are normal. Okay. Doubts are normal. In fact, without doubts, faith can't exist because faith is not 100% certainty in something. Faith is believing in something we can't 100% get a hold of necessarily. Um, another thing I think it would be good to remember this morning is that uh, what we do with doubts and how we interact with them with each other matters. Um, 
I like this quote from uh, Dallas Willard's daughter in the preface of one of his books. It says, um, today apologetics have become something of a cage match, revolving around proofs of God's existence and involvement in the world. It has become a harsh battleground for the intelligent design versus Darwinism debate or other hot-button religion versus science arguments. Uh, what's lost in today's apologetics is to gently and lovingly address, even welcome, the honest doubts and questions that burden believers' faith. Um, the way we step towards each other in our own doubts and in other people's doubts matters. Um, and, you know, it gets me to thinking about middle school and high school spaces there, too, because there's this... We start to hear statistics, right, about doubts and what do, what do high schoolers do after high school when they move on and, like, the percentages of kids that walk out of church and, and never come back. And, and I think one of the things that we sometimes, I, I'm just wondering, I don't know if this is 100%, I haven't tested this, but, like, we spend so much time because we think that we can make sure that people believe exactly a thing that when they walk out the door they will never have a doubt and that it'll all be fine. And I would say that's maybe the bigger deal is when the doubts do come, how are we stepping towards those with them? With what posture, with what temperament are we stepping to that with them? Not that we don't speak truth with them, but how? How are we doing that? Um, and I think it's, in the doubts are normal department, I think it's good to remember that when somebody has a doubt, it is possible for them that what they may really believe is that I don't have Christianity, I don't have Jesus because I have this doubt about a thing. So as you step in with people, like, maybe this is a, like, diversion, but the way it feels to them is it's, like, complete shipwreck, okay? So just things to keep in mind as you live with people. Um, and the other thing, I think, just, again, before we get to what we're talking about in terms of doubts today, is just that the end game matters in this. We've used this, um, we've used this model throughout the last few weeks, or at least in prepping for the last few weeks of, of construction, what, my, what beliefs are kind of handed to me and formed within me as I start my faith journey, and then deconstruction, which you can just <clears throat> take out deconstruction, put in the word doubt there. What do I, what do, I do with, like, uh, stuff starts to come apart, or I, or I wonder, and I have questions about things. And then lastly, reconstruction, how do I take that and put that back together? But I think it's important to remember that as we think about this and like that we will have doubts and what do we do about those, that there are uh, a couple of paths that those can go down. One can be an attempt at pursuing truth and goodness and what is right, where we come out the other side knowing more about Jesus, being more in love with him. And that that can be like, okay, I have this doubt, but I'm going to keep moving towards Jesus in this. The other way we can take it, though, is where it's just like, let's blow this thing up. The, like, the sole purpose of of this journey for me is to just blow this thing up and to, to dig in and find my power and my control in these spaces. We'd call that um, postmodern, post-enlightenment, post some other things. My favorite term, though, is uh, N.T. Wright's where he says it's chronological elitism. So in other words, uh, that means like we fail to hold intention that things that have been reaffirmed and held true throughout history, throughout church leaders, that because we live and breathe in July of 2021, we know better, okay? So, but none of this is like, oh, boom, done, like, because also there are things that have come before that are a mess, that do need deconstructed and reconstructed. But just knowing that, like, our end game here is not to just blow up the thing and be like, oh, good, now there's nothing, and I feel better about that. The, the end game is to reconstruct and to move um, towards Jesus, more in love with the living God. 
So, specifically about doubts today, we're going to talk about doubts about all the rules, okay? All the rules, the laws, the precepts that we find in Scripture. But first, let's go back to the chickens. So, I told you remember Piggy. This is Piggy. And if you've ever heard the term pecking order, um, that, well, I just assume it comes from chickens because that's a real thing in chickendom, okay? Um, Piggy is in charge, basically, all right? She runs the show. She is not a benevolent leader. She is more of an illogical, tyrannical dictator, <laughs> okay? So, um, and the term pecking order comes from literally the way she decides the ranking of social things, really about who gets to eat what, is by pecking at them, all right? So that's where this term pecking order comes from. So I'm going to show you like 30 seconds of what that looks like. In this video, um, complete with chicken sounds, uh, I've just tossed in some of their favorite snack, okay? And uh, she'll, be, she'll start out at the bottom of the screen, the black chicken at the bottom of the screen, and just watch what she does as she sort of navigates like, and she sets the rules on who's allowed to do what. Here we go. There she is in the middle. <clears throat> yep. Yep. It's here's where it's illogical. Like I can throw all that in there. And I can put a, get, take her out of all that and give her her own pile of just that. She's not interested. She'll like, she'll like rafter the fence back and forth, like trying to get in because what she really wants to do is like tell everybody else what to do. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk about doubts about the rules. We are, I'm going to try to give you some like umbrella ideas about what we do and how we navigate uh, where we're like, I don't know what to do about that. What about this one? But what I'm not going to do is go through a whole bunch of them because there's just... There's just too many. Um, so if I can, I'm going to give us some, like, big buckets of things that, like, chunks that rules go into, and then we'll get into the doubts about them. Um, and this might not encompass every single one, but I'm trying to give you just some broad categories here. Three types of rules or laws we find in Scripture. One are moral laws that are permanent, okay? Uh, ceremonial laws, which were laws were, that were set up on how we should worship God, but once Jesus came, those were done away with. Okay? And then the third chunk would be judicial or civil laws, which were brought by Moses and were for the governing of the, the nation of Israel. So j just from there, you see, like, okay, when I, like, when I open up my Bible and read, like, these, like, I'm going to have to do some thinking about, like, what, what kind of law is this? What kind of rule is this? Um, we're going to put a link on for, for just a little bit more, because I don't have time like an expanded explanation of this. The folks at Bible Project, if you haven't listened or watched any of that, just fantastic, the work that they do there. And if you have kids and want to like sit and walk through some spaces with them, fantastic space to do that. But they have one in particular, and we'll put the link on mylcc.info. Uh, the, the title of the, the like 12, 15 minutes is called God's Wisdom on Display. And it kind of digs a little further into this idea of how we kind of categorize groups of, of rules and whatnot. Um, but a couple of takeaways that I, I appreciated 
And again, please listen to it on your own. Um, but the, these, these rules and, and laws reveal God's wisdom for all people as we see how they were lived out to the people that they were written to. Okay, So we see how they were lived out to the people they were written to that reveals wisdom of God for, for us as well. And then, and then this I thought was important as well. What are the aspects of social, as we look at them, what are the aspects of social importance, human dignity, financial justice, and, and um, how does that differ from how I think about things in my life and in my culture? Um, and keeping in mind how Jesus, Jesus took all this and he boiled it down to love God and love people. All the law and commandments are summed up in these. But just for sake of seeing that there's kind of a lot, if we, if we uh, jump to the New Testament alone, here's some categories of types of laws. All right, 12 of these and seven of those and two of these. Um, there's some more. End up with 200 miscellaneous. I don't know what category to put them in. And then if we just take one of those categories, here's like 75 different things. Okay, just of the, the B's, and this is just in the New Testament alone. Just for the point of like, there's a lot. What do we do with these? Okay. So let's talk about the, uh, the doubt aspect about all these rules. And we have doubts about, I don't know what to do with this one or that one. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I'm so good. I'm, I'm fine. I don't have doubts about any of this. Or maybe you're here and you're like, it's just these one or two. Or maybe it's like, oh, I have a list, okay? Um, so hopefully this can like kind of broad stroke some of these. But what I want to do is use that same construction, deconstruction, reconstruction framework that we've, we've been talking about all along and, and look at this idea of, of doubts about the rules within that. Um, so in the construction phase, again, that's kind of how beliefs are initially set for us or, or delivered to us. I try to like think of what are some, again, big buckets that we might fit into. If you don't hear you in these or where you've been in your journey, I'm, I, there's room. All I want to say is there's room for, for you not to fit in one of these. But <clears throat> we'll start with mine. All right, This is where I was. Me and God are good if I follow all the rules, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, like if I just follow all the rules, that makes everything fine. Um, my completeness, my worth, my security are all tied up in my ability to complete or not complete the rules. It's uh, a bit legalistic. It's a bit judgmental. Like, thank you, Lord, that I don't sin like they do. Um, I get my, va- I, I'm just going to, normally I'd be like, listen, like, caveats, this was me, so I'm just going to, this is just how it is, like, or was. Uh, my value comes from doing, and frankly, it's, it's uh, this idea of deism, where I like the rules, but I don't need the Jesus, Okay. I like the rules, but I don't need Jesus in there together with it. Um, deism is kind of described as, or explained as like, God created and wound up the universe, and then just like, I probably wound it up a little more than that, and then just let it go, and has no interpersonal connection or contact with it at all. It just is out there running on its own. Um, Thomas Jefferson, one of our presidents. If I had paid better attention in 10th grade, I could tell you what number he is. Um, but but he, he was a deist. Like, he loved the Jesus of morality and justice and ethics, but resented anything supernatural, any miracles of Jesus. So much so, he actually cut them out of his Bible. Um, I believe it's in the Smithsonian. You can see there. Like, that's severe. I don't think any of us are cutting any pages out of our Bible or verses out of our Bible, but I wonder how many of us are living with just, like, 
I don't need Jesus, I'll just, I'll just do the rules. So that might be one construction that you were set up. Oh, and here's what else we do with this one. Like, we take all, like, we make up rules too. Like, because sometimes the initial rules aren't enough. So let's make up some more to go with them that aren't even found in scripture. Uh, Monica said to me earlier, like, how often do we like, oh, I'm kind of like twitchy about this rule that I think is part of life with Jesus. It's like, oh, friend, that's not even in there. Like, we've made that up extra. Okay, another option is that there are no rules, all right? Like, I just, I, um, I'm going to live for me and my wants, and I want to be careful to say that we're created in his image, so our wants sometimes are not necessarily bad, but, like, it's just all about, like, like I like the idea that, that uh, Jesus is pursuing me, but I don't need to do any of the other stuff that, that comes with that. Um, no boundaries. And then another option, perhaps, and again, my feeble attempt at trying to, like, clump these together. Um, me and God are good if I follow all the rules, and I'm not okay with that but I'm not sure what to do about it. Kind of a mess over it. Um, I think, again, we, we, we get the judgy thing going on here, but, like, in this one, it's more aimed back at me. Like, I, I get that something's wrong, and I just, ugh, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with it. Um, there's sort of this permanent guilt and legalism built in, and um, you realize it's not the whole picture. And then maybe there's option four, five, and six as well about like where you kind of come to the table with doubts about rules if you have those. Um, but then we move into the deconstruction phase. So some things come along and we begin to be like, uh, what, about, what about fun? I would just like to have some fun, please. Um, you do you, right? Like the phrase that I use sometimes if it's talking about like food choices, but <laughs> like when we start to roll it into other Somewhat deeper things like it, anyway. Um, privilege, like I'm exempt. Like I get that you want to follow and do that way. Like something's rubbing against me. I, I don't want that. Maybe nationalism. I'm excluded from loving or acting like uh, ways that reflect the heart of Jesus because of my position or my leanings or my, my location. Judgmental, again, in both directions. Impossible. Like these are impossible anyway. Why would we even bother to try to attempt to? move towards these, or cultural leanings, right? Especially around, like, this is so out of touch, right? Like, as my kids, I think, have asked me once, I'll verify this later, like, did they have cars when you were a kid? <laughs> yes, yes, they did, all right? So, these are so second century, all right? So, we deconstruct. We want to deconstruct these. And here's what I wonder, Okay, again, I'm doing a lot of wondering as we talk this morning. But I wonder if, like, all that stuff that we see back a screen can be boiled into this idea of freedom. Or is, do all those somehow fit under this umbrella of, like, what I really am chasing after is freedom? Um, and we want, I want to park here on this freedom idea for a bit. And I'll say that, like, as I put these notes together, I said, yeah, but a lot. And so if you're like, yeah, but as I say some things like, let me get to the end, and if you still have yeah buts, like, I would love to have a conversation with you about those. But um, first, though, not in the space of freedom looking more like power and control, but in the space of, like, there are some good aspects about freedom. God created freedom 
I think. It allows me to, um, it allows me to stand up here today and talk to you. It allows us to push back against places where, like, having any belief is punishable, okay? Um, it allows us to uh, move away from embarrassments in Christian history. I could list some of those, but... Um, and the aspect that, like, if God is to be loved, it has to be willingly. Faith is not forced or coerced. It has to be a, a free choice that we make. But we do some bad things with freedom, too, I think. And especially when we turn it into this idea of, like, I, I just I want the power and I want the control. Like, and that kind of leads us to, like, I'm going to deconstruct some things because I want, I want this for me. Um, so let's look at a couple things that I think are true in our culture currently. Number one, we live in a like culture. If I like it, then it's true. If I don't, then it's not, okay? Like, somehow, the, the trueness of something is tied up in whether or not I like it. And then we live, and we live out of that. Um, also, expressive individualism. Um, these are sort of all clumped together, but like, anybody go to a high school graduation or maybe watch one streamed online? You may have heard phrases like this year, or maybe any year, I don't know. Um, phrases like, follow your passions, chart your own course, march to the beat of your own drummer, follow your dreams, and find yourself. The individual experience trumps all and is better than all. Or maybe theological, number three, theological electism, meaning just electing my own theology, like uh, no one outside of myself can dictate spiritual truth. Like, I have to determine and piece together what spiritual truth is for me and my life. Um, we self-select into what we like. And of course, we can do that. We do have choice. We can, we can choose things, but it's when we, we, um, we've, we decide to like, pick and choose things and pull them together for us that it can get problematic. The contemporary um, preoccupation with this like individualism and and these rights have deceived many of us into thinking that we can just create our own theology. We'll just make it up. It's like, as the creatures made in God's image, we've decided to return the favor back to him. And we've created a God that we want. Like, who do... I want to be gentle, but like, who do we think we are in that? Augustine says, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe but yourself. Um, if you want to have more discussions, this is a fantastic, well, the first three chapters are fantastic because that's how far I've gotten. But I assume that the rest is as well. This is a fantastic read, was the point of the story. Uh, this, uh, this is A.J. Swoboda, and he says on this subject, but this, is the, this new norm has proven to be profoundly inconsistent set of dogmas. On the one hand, we're required to be authentic and be ourselves. This demands that we abandon any restraint that might get in the way of that pursuit. Yet we are simultaneously required to conform to a set of values outside ourselves. If a person doesn't share the social vision, sexual ideology, or spiritual values of the prevailing progressive worldview, they are written off as closed-minded, arrogant, and bigoted. How can authenticity to self and conformity to arbitrary external demands coincide? Indeed, these are confusing times. What is left is a judgment-free world that overtly condemns anyone daring to judge. Here, the most forbidden act is to forbid. The tension is best illustrated by the title of an article published in the New York Times by Adam Grant 
which was titled, Unless You Are Oprah, Be Yourself is Terrible Advice. His point is that we want people to be themselves so long as they are good and moral as Oprah. Um, what, what we do with freedom and this hunger for power and control is we, we give ourselves permission to, to write our own story. And what God is saying is like, I, I'm writing the story. You are part of it. Like, come be part of, part of my story. Um, Stanley Hauerwas says, uh, we live at a time, you may call it modern, when we believe we should have no story except the story we choose when we had no story, and we call this freedom. And then A.J. Swoboda, who we just read, goes on to finish it. Uh, we self-select our own story apart from the one who invented the very genre of story himself. And so I wonder, what does it look like um, to wake up to the fact that we don't get to love the God that we want or the God that we create or the theology that we piece together? But true worship is loving the God who is. Loving the God who is. Um, and I wonder, how does that, you hear that, like, how does that land? I think that's going to land a little bit different, depending on where we walk into the room at this morning. Um, but does it push against our desires for power and control? But what I want to do um, is just spend the last little bit here talking about the God who is. If we're going to worship, um, true worship is loving the God who is, let's talk about what he's like, because that's going to be important in this space. And the good news is that he is not a tyrannical, illogical dictator like that creature right there. Um, so looking at Reconstruction, um, here's my premise. I wonder if we deal with these rules in Scripture with such aversion or just grasp, you know, back to the deism, just grasp onto them like separate from Jesus because... We consider them separate from a loving Heavenly Father who's crazy about us and pursuing us and loves us. Um, I'm going to. John 3.16. You, you've probably heard this verse more than you've heard other verses, but, but I like what happens here between these two sets of verses. For God so loved the world, the world. For God so loved, loved the world, okay, the whole thing that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But as we talk about God loves you and is pursuing you, I love what, hap what Paul does in Galatians 2.20 here. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. John, God so loved the whole world. Paul, he loved me and he loved you loved you and each one of us it makes it personal there as we think about God loving us and pursuing us I, I, I just couldn't help but like John 10 10 like the end of John 10 10 I came that you might have life and life abundantly like we get hung up on oh Jesus isn't fun like following Jesus can't be fun like but where, what's real life where does real life come from or uh, in Matthew, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. I'm gentle. 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Um, he just, he loves us more than we can comprehend. And, and one of the things I, like, okay, this is apples to oranges, okay? Because I'm going to take, like, a us and God concept and, like, turn it to us and us for a second. And, and like, do you have anybody in your world or in your life where you, you know how much they love you and it affects how you respond to what they ask of you? Probably not perfectly. Um, and maybe you'd be like, I, I don't know who that is. So, but, but if you do, and again, keep, I'm not trying to equate anything. I'm just trying to like get our minds moving in a direction. Like, Can it be like that with Jesus when we know how much he loves us and that he really does have our best in mind? Like this kind of like grinding against the rules and like wanting to toss them all out and create ways to dismantle them begins to settle down a little bit. Or like, what would it look like to believe, and maybe this is kind of what I just said, that, um, that God, in the things he asks of you, aka the rules, that he actually has your best interest in mind. Like, there's some fun things. Um, if you come ask me later, I'll tell you. But like, like, where neuroscience has discovered these amazing things that affect how we do interpersonal relationship spaces, and we're like, wow, that is so cool. And you know what? Wow, that is so cool. But then you go back about 2,000 years and you see in Scripture, like, God already had that written down. Like, he has, I say that just to say, he, I really think he has our best interest in mind and knows what he's doing, even when it, like, we don't always know what to do with it. Um, I think it's important to remember in this, too, uh, that the gospel informs the whole of our life. Sometimes we think about the gospel as like the moment I'm saved, but it goes beyond that. It continues and or can continue to inform the whole of our life. Um, what is the gospel? The gospel, First um, Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So if we think back to the construction piece where I said me and God are good if I follow all the rules, I think. Me and God are good because of the cross and the resurrection, not because of me. And what does it look like to let that inform the whole of our life? And sometimes, maybe, the rules, the things in Scripture we find that are like, do this, are there to help move us along and remind us of what that can look like to have the whole of your life informed by the gospel. And to know that it's a joy and that it's not under our own power, but in his. And then the last one here, um, just that life with Jesus is relational, not transactional, um, which may be a hard concept to grasp because I think a lot of our relationships with, uh, with each other are transactional. Oh, I will respond to you because you did a thing, or because you did a thing, now I feel indebted to do this other thing, versus just relational living with each other and relational living with God. Somebody, uh, we, we asked for like, hey, submit your questions. And I, I just thought like, if we're going to say it's relational, not transactional, what do you do with like a, a verse like, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay. 
uh, from John, I believe. Um, and I would say there, like, I think the way we hear that is if you keep my commandments, I will love you. And that's not what it's saying. It's revealing something. Like, hey, the way you keep my commandments reveals something that's already going on in you. It doesn't um, prescribe or make something happen. Could it be that over time we stop trying harder, like stop willpowering this thing and realize that his ways are better than mine and consider that, consider that following him isn't restrictive, but it's actually where we find life and life abundantly. You don't have to go that route. We can go the other route, right? Like where I set other things up above Jesus. Those are called idols. That's the easiest way to describe idol, right? Anytime like, okay, here's Jesus, but this thing's more important, definition of idol right there. Just put something else in the blank. Social prowess, political leanings, sexual identity, being good at following the rules, being a complete rebellion to the rules, freedom, anything that doesn't flow from abiding with him first. That, we, can, we can go the reconstruction route that way. I just don't think it's where life is found. We can go about it the deism way where I'll just do all the rules and I'll be fine or I'll just hide myself away. But when I, when I think of John 10, 10, and Jesus saying, I came that you would have life and life abundantly, the older I get, the more I realize how true that is, and that these other things that I, I, do, I do it too, that I set up there up above Jesus, they don't bring life. Uh, the, the band's going to come back down for us, but um, as we step into groups this week, we think that being in group around here is important to be able to think through and process um, these different things. So here's a couple questions maybe for group this week, um, or your own too, but how is our desire, and yeah, how is our desire to be in control and write our own story affecting following a loving Heavenly Father? What are the idols I put above following Jesus? What would it look like to tell those to you, to us right now? Who is someone willing to walk through your doubts with you and to remind you of what's true? And where are you at with believing that Jesus really does have your best interest in mind? Could we go slowly with each other? Could we go gently with each other? As you hear somebody's doubts this week, would you remember that like maybe the doubts you're hearing are in the context of like chapter 13 of their story and in order to better understand where they're at today and to be gentle and loving with them, you need to hear the first 12 chapters first before you prescribe and fix something. So just a, a closing thought here uh, as we think about the, the work of transformation in us and God's love for us as we think about the God who is if we're going to follow the God who is, not the one that we create, here's a quote from John Lynch about some things that are true about the God who is. It says, grace is eminently safe, but is never soft on sin. It is trying to get back past enemy lines to get to the very essence of what's making me walk with a limp. Grace does not stop until that is accomplished. His grace has a power that the law, moralism, buck up, never did. God never comes to break me. He's never trying to hit me with a two by four. I am broken. He comes to heal me. 
And the process of healing me, first, I don't want it. I just want to be as I was. Stop it. This hurts. This healing hurts. This will be disruptive for a little while because you've learned to live in shadow. You've learned to bluff. You've learned to fake. You can be a Christian for a long time and still believe you're the same person you were before Jesus came in. This is the beautiful work of the Holy Spirit to convince me I am no longer that person. I am a brand new creature that is deeply loved and adored. God, would you let us respond to you in being deeply loved and deeply adored. God, we believe and we want to believe that you have what's best for us. In your name we pray.